and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman Podcast. This is episode 33. I am Zach Faulkner-Barfield, 1PG, the founder of The Perfect Gentleman. Alongside me is the charming, the handsome, the debonair, Mr. James Marwood. Thank you very much, Zach. These are very good for my ego, these introductions. I do enjoy them. Oh, I, I shall keep going, so I shall keep Excellent. going. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. How are you, my friend? You well? Good week? Yeah, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. It's been a, a, a nice week, a thoroughly enjoyable week. Splendid. I actually tend to like Halloween. I like that whole build-up to it. It's kind of one of my preferred commercial holidays. I'm also the same, and this time of year is actually one of my favourites, despite the slightly miserable weather. It's walking outside and tweed and flannel and big clumpy shoes and good food, all of that, all the things I love. You know, winter in the UK is not particularly nice. You don't really get snow and that kind of no. cold. But that fall, that transition, the autumn transition here in the UK is very lovely. It's that kind yes. of, the leaves start to change, the wind, the air changes. Yes. Um, and it becomes very nice. And yes, we get to wear tweed. Which we is... do. <laughs> yes. Always, always fun. Always fun. So this week we're talking Halloween, really. The next couple of weeks are all sort of Halloween-esque or has a Halloween theme. So today we're talking a little about what costumes a gentleman should wear. Mm-hmm. We're going to get our little suited chef hats on, you and me, James, again, and talk some homemade yes. treats. Excellent. And then we're going to go back in time, as Halloween is supposed to, remember the past, and we talk about a unsung gentleman hero of mine. Excellent. And then Rory is going to talk to us a little about dealing with monsters in the mannered gentleman section. Excellent. I look forward to it. James, have you been to many costume parties? In two ways. I've been to quite a few Halloween costume parties, like formally arranged parties and things like that. And for quite a few years, especially when I was living in Plymouth, me and my friends would quite often go out at Halloween around the pubs and clubs in the town in fancy dress. Always good fun, always enjoyed it, but there are a few potential pitfalls there are a few so i mean do you have a preferred outfit do you have a preferred sort of style i mean i like to wear a suit so quite often i'll try and build a suit into what i'm wearing and so if we're doing very traditionally themed halloween quite often what i like to do is wear a black suit and white face paint and maybe black around my eyes and a top hat and sort of go as a sort of spooky undertaker or something like that what a a friend of mine does which i've not yet but which i thought worked really well he has a full traditional hammer horror style vampire costume with a frilly shirt and he blacks his hair and slicks it back and all of that and i think that always looks fantastic um but it's quite a lot of work that is kind of one of our suggestions for gentleman costumes the vampire classic vampire look is always an easy one to pull off bella lugosi started it with a cape and the proper formal white tie and that red decoration for the honor i always think of george hamilton in once bitten who took it off so well yes indeed he was a chap also came in gremlins too i think wasn't he he did he did yes yes so that's more my memory of him because i have a very vivid memory of that film <laughs> as i get older and i get the more gray hair and my hair's quite dark so i can almost start to pull that off now excellent with the gray hair and the cape and the really bad transylvanian accent you know <laughs> that would work very well Props our Halloween party, we should do that. We should. Vampires are always very easy, because at worst you need a suit, some white makeup and a pair of fangs. My other tip for a gentlemanly costume idea is always classic is the gangster. Yes, always good. And I think that's quite easy to pull off. If you have a pinstripe suit, get yourself a fedora and a fake Tommy gun and you're Al Pacino's right-hand man. One of the things I always like about wearing suits to fancy dress things is you're not overdoing the costume but i tend to feel much more comfortable you know i've done it before where i've gone as a roman in a toga and it's hard to feel comfortable just wrapped in a bed sheet at a party 
<laughs> as I found out after. So the suit is a little bit of a comfort blanket for me. But as you say, you could be a vampire, an undertaker, a gangster. You can do any of these sorts of things. One year I went as Mr. Ben that I really enjoyed. For people who don't know, Mr. Ben, it was a, a British children's cartoon of the 70s. A chap, Mr. Ben, who went to a fancy dress shop and put a costume on and had an adventure. But his general everyday wear was pinstripe trousers, a black suit jacket and a bowler hat. And that is quite a fun costume to wear. And especially if people remember Mr Ben, everyone loved him. I like that. If you want to go a little bit more, um, you put a little bit more effort in. There's two choices, I think, as a, a, a gentleman on either side of the moral spectrum, shall we say. The first is the pirate I think a pirate costume is always quite good. And I'm not talking Johnny Depp's very fabulous Captain Jack Sparrow, which is quite hard to do with the hair. I'm thinking more of the Errol Flynn. You have to be relatively fit to pull it off, but some nice breeches, a white shirt and some high boots... And you've got your pirate outfit, basically. A scarf tied around your waist or a tie, that would do it. It's relatively simple. It's not too complex an outfit to pull off and you can do it with a plum. Yes, and then you can buckle your swash. You can buckle your swash and be dashing and daring do like Mr Flynn was in his time. And then the other one, which does require a hell of a lot more effort and would require a trip to a costumer's would be doing a Regency gentleman. Yes. There are a few friends of mine who do Regency events as... Not reenactments, probably not the right word, but they have Regency-style balls. It's a lot about the dancing, and the effort those guys put into their costume is amazing. My friend Ian Valentine, who does it, and I see his pictures online, absolutely fantastic, but they look so good. If you can put the effort in and pull that off, oh, you would look fantastic. To give you sort of an idea, you're looking at Beau Brummel or the Scarlet Pimpernel. These guys were that kind of Regency gentleman. Scarlet Pimpernel, so Percival Blakeney's character, was very effete, very dapper, and Beau Brummel was a very stylish man. He was the founder of modern men's style, both ends of the Regency spectrum. But as you say, toddle off to a costumers. If you're in the UK, I highly recommend toddling off to Angels. We're fantastic costumers. I mean, when we've done our events, I do dress up as Beau Brummel, and they did a phenomenal job of digging out costume to fit me because I'm a little bit bigger than the Regency gentlemen were. It's a different touch for the gentleman. Just before I wrap this one up, Zach, there was something I wanted to call out. I was out recently in Newcastle, my home city, and there were a group of guys and girls all out in fancy dress, all superhero, which was quite fun, and they had those padded suits that make them look all muscly, and the girls were wearing all saucy Catwoman things, and all having good fun. But what was really lovely was as they went past... A restaurant. There were a load of children in having a children's party, and one of the children, the young lad whose birthday it was, got really excited because Spider Man had walked past. And so the kids all piled out of the restaurant, and these guys, only young guys, on in I doubt, took probably about half an hour taking photos and playing with these children and swooping them up and just generally being really good fun. And I think that's something you can do when you're in fancy dress. You kind of you make everyone else feel better and improve everyone else's party. But it was just something I saw last night that really put a smile on my face. Oh, that is lovely. So you can be. A- gentleman in a costume always even if you're dressed as deadpool with fake muscles or as one of the girls was a very sexy cat woman and was trying very hard not to get in too many photos <laughs> they were just lovely with the kids and it was great to see yes we salute you you are our gentleman of the week excellent i approve maybe if you out there in podcast land want to contact us and let us know suggestions for your gentleman of the week yes we'd be grateful to hear from you you could drop us an email at enquiries e-n-q-u-i-r-i-e-s at theperfectgentleman.tv you can contact us on instagram facebook twitter we don't generally go on snapchat but we do have one we are across all the social media platforms you can find us drop us an email drop us a text drop us a message on the social media channels for your suggestions for gentlemen of the week 
born in the back shop of a Colombian leather craftsman, matured on the Pan American Highway, perfected on a pub's damp table in Savile Row, Monsieur London is the result of travel. It led its two creators from Anchorage to Oshaya on the 19,000 mile long journey. They ended up in London to settle the project born from a choice to lead a lifestyle with higher standards and expectations. A brand for the 21st century cosmopolitan man. As a result of this approach, the online retail shop MonsieurLondon.com was launched in October 2012. Since then, they have met many pop-up shops in Paris and London and opened with business partners La Gossonniere, a 250-square-metres men lifestyle concept store in Paris. Their brand offers elegant accessories made with traditional know-how for a fair price. They make their customers pay for the quality, not for the branding and marketing. Their French, Italian and English workshops fabricate outstanding products, created with their sense of traditional know-how and their passion for style. These accessories reflect the technical excellence of their makers. They offer bespoke options on many of their products, including gloves, bags and belts. Check them out at MissYourLondon.com. So, James, I'm feeling a little bit peckish. And I'm thinking, rather than go off and purchase a load of sweeties for your Halloween trick-or-treat, why not let's make a few? Okay, that sounds good. You are talking about the kids just now. I was thinking we should appeal to the junior gentlemen as well. Yes. And maybe teach them how to make a few little really simple homemade treats. I think that sounds like a good idea. The easiest ones, I think, to make are little marzipan animals. Okay. They're a lot of fun to make, and you can involve the junior ladies and gentlemen into the making of them. And all you really need is some imagination, a large bunch of marzipan, and a bit of food colouring. That sounds good. It's very easy. Marzipan you can buy pretty much any supermarket will stock marzipan. And pretty much any supermarket will stock the main food colouring colours. If you go to a more specialised cookery shop, you'll get the more obscure colours. You can, of course, naturally make the colours through the base colours, but that's not my field of expertise. And then basically have some fun. Get a bit of a marzipan, drop a little bit of the food colour on your marzipan that you're making, and knead the colour into the to the marzipan so it gets a uniform colour over the piece of marzipan, and then shape it. It is really that simple. That could be fun. If you want to be a bit more artistic with your marzipan, shape the marzipan first, let it dry off a little bit. So marzipan tends to dry out, so if you want to keep it moist, cover it in a dump towel or put it in an airtight container. And then if you want to paint it more delicately, you shape your marzipan, let it dry out a little bit, not too much, and then basically mix your food colouring with a little bit of water, get a clean little paintbrush, and then basically paint whatever you're making, whether it's a ghost or a cat or a pumpkin or a dragon. Paint it and let it dry and then put it back in an airtight container and away you go. And there you have little homemade treats which are fun to make, look pretty and good eats too. That sounds really good. And the thing is you can involve the junior ladies and gentlemen into making it. Excellent. That's really good. A slightly similar suggestion. It's a sweet thing as well. A quite lovely but lazy way to make icing. So one of the things I like to do is is make cupcakes. And the cake recipes, just any standard cake recipe, tend to put a little cocoa powder in. It's just basically you know, flour, cocoa powder, a little bit of baking sugar, some caster sugar, butter, an egg and milk. You cook that. 20 minutes, 25 minutes in the oven, just as you would do any normal cake. Any cake recipe will do for that, generally. But the icing that I've done a few times is use uh, cream cheese as the base. 
So you're looking at about 50 grams, two ounces of cream cheese, 25 grams, one ounce of butter, nice and soft. And you beat that together in a bowl just with a fork and then put in around 125 grams or four ounces of icing sugar that you've sifted to get any lumps out. And then a little half a teaspoon, maybe of vanilla essence, not too much. One of the cheats to this is rather than use an icing bag, they can be a bit hard work, is I just stick it in a sandwich bag and stip the corner off and use that. You can do the same thing again using your food colouring or if you want to put in a little bit of cocoa powder, you can do the same thing again to make different coloured icing and decorate the tops of your cupcakes with it. How yummy. It is quite fun to do and you can be as artistic and decorative as you like. And I mean, I tend to do sort of simple cobwebs. Friends of mine do really fantastic things, draw witches' faces and ghosts and all sorts. Well, my last homemade treat, do you like coconut, James? I do quite like coconut, yes. My last treat is homemade bounty bars. Mmm. I've been waiting to hear about these because I know you've been experimenting with them. I have been experimenting with them and I think I have perfected them. Excellent. Bounty bars, for those who aren't of the UK persuasion, they are basically coconut bars covered in chocolate it's quite simple that's what they are and the uk the company that made them got purchased out by an american company and they changed the formula of the chocolate which upset me somewhat greatly so i decided to make them myself that's kind of where this journey to make my homemade bounty bars started so basically what you need is a desiccated coconut about 250 grams of that one tin of condensed milk and one tin of coconut milk and some good chocolate. The chocolate is up to you. It could be milk, it could be dark, it could be both. I mean, if you really want to do it, you could do it with white chocolate as well. I like a mix of dark and milk, and you need at least 250 grams of that. And depending on how like, thick you like your chocolate, maybe a little bit more. So the first tip is you drain the water from the coconut milk. You don't want the coconut water. Put it in a glass. You can use it for a cocktail later for the adults, but you want the pulp. So you put that in a mixing bowl, about half the tin of that in the mixing bowl, and then half the tin of condensed milk, and then put in the desiccated coconut in stages so it becomes a nice consistency. So it's not too runny and it's not too thick. So I want like a paste. It's more solid than a paste, but not so it looks a bit dry. It's firm enough to handle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then basically take small handfuls of it and shake them into little bricks. You place those on a grease-proof paper-lined metal tray, and then put them in the fridge. They should be in the fridge for at least about an hour, but you want them to be solid. So it depends on how cold your fridge is, but at least an hour, probably two or three. Then you take them out and you melt your chocolate. The more milk chocolate you use, the sweeter the chocolate bars. So I mix mine about evenly. So it's about 125 grams of dark chocolate and 125 grams of milk chocolate. I tend to melt it in a microwave really slowly, about 10 seconds at a time on a low power setting so you don't burn the chocolate. You can do a bain-marie, which is basically boiling water, and you melt the chocolate over that if you don't have a microwave to hand. And then you take the solid bars and basically you dip the solid bars in the chocolate. You can dip them in the chocolate, you can pour the chocolate over them, or you can figure out any other fun way of doing it. I've done it with toothpicks, I've done it with spoons, all sorts of things. Then you place your melted chocolate covered bars on a wire rack above a tray, so the chocolate can drip down and doesn't ruin anything else. Put them back into the fridge until they solidify again. And that's it. Very simple. It's very simple to do, it's very easy, a little time consuming on the, you have to wait for the the things to do and then basically after that keep them in an airtight container in the fridge until they're ready to serve 
or if you're like me, you can't wait and you start scoffing them as soon as they're solidified. I would probably don't have the self-control not to do that. Yes, you know, they'll start to melt if they're out of the fridge for too long, but they're certainly worth keeping and they can last for a, a quite a good long time, seven, seven days in the fridge. Not that they would ever last seven days in any household that I would be in, but <clears throat> theoretically they can last for up to seven days. Splendid. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't you tell us about your experiments on our little homemade treats? You can send us your photos to our social media channels and or drop us an email with the photos of the bounty bars, the marzipan, the cupcakes. We'd like to see them. Indeed. Or any of the recipes that you like to do for Halloween. That would be interesting to see. Elliot Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliot Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliotrhodes.com. Before we hand over to Rory, we are going to talk a little about gentlemen heroes. So one of the themes we'd like to do over the course of the next year is occasionally talk about unsung gentlemen heroes. In other words, people that really you don't hear about very often or haven't heard about at all. And we consider sort of be interesting exemplars of gentlemen. So my first one, James, is your namesake. Well, your Christian namesake is Mr. James Crichton. Ah, yes. So James Crichton, or as he is known by his nickname, the Admirable Crichton, was a Scottish gentleman who was born some 500 years ago, in about 1560. His nickname, the Admirable Crichton, was taken on by a play by J.M. Barry, the writer of Peter Pan, and it was a great play about comedy of class manners on a deserted island. But it has nothing to do with the real Admirable Crichton, who was a real man who was born this 500 years ago. Mr. Crichton was born in Scotland, we believe in Perthshire. He was the son of the Lord Advocate of Scotland, had royal lineage, but he was a very special man, even from an early age. He was educated at St. Andrew's University. When he was 14, he had completed both his bachelor and his master's degree. At 14, that's something. He was definitely a gifted prodigy. He almost certainly had an eidetic memory. In common parlance, that's a photographic memory, someone who can recall information. This is his list of achievements at this tender young age. He was fluent, both spoken and written, in some 12 languages. A skilled horseman, master fencer, great debater and orator. He was an accomplished singer and musician. <laughs> as if to add insult injury, he was also noted as being uh, very pleasing on the eye. Hmm. And then it gets more curious. Okay. He toddled off to France, which is at that time was sort of the, the centre of the universe, went to the College of Navarre in Paris, and no one believed his skills. So he was challenged to a contest where he basically sat in front of 50 professors, other academics and learned men, in front of an audience of some 3,000 spectators. That's a lot of people in those days. That is. And basically he was tested from 9am to 6pm in any of his languages that he spoke on all manner of subjects. He managed to do it completely. My word. And hence his nickname, the Admiral Crichton. And to top it off... The very next day, after besting these men of intellect with his intellect, he toddled off to a jousting tournament and won every competition. <laughs> Fantastic. He joined the French army and served in a number of battles. Then he went to Italy and did the trip, the Rome, Genoa, Venice, Padua, bested professional gladiators along the way. As you do, yes. 
And then we come to the tail end of this young prodigy's life, and it becomes even more interesting. So he entered the service of the Duke of Mantua, that was a famous province of Italy at the time, where he bested the three best duelists in Mantua and topped it off by beating the Duke's bodyguard in a contest in front of the Duke. The Duke then, so impressed, made him and the Duke's son's tutor. Sadly, Vincenzo Gongza, the Duke's son, was a headstrong, jealous and aggressive youth and did not take kindly to his father's affections towards the Admiral Crichton. And he certainly didn't like them very much when Mr Crichton was seen to be in a liaison with Vincenzo's ex-mistress. So one night, Vincenzo decided to take it upon himself to extract revenge and sent six masked thugs to confront Crichton after he was leaving the young lady's abode. Crichton dispatched all of them (laughs) with amazing aplomb, only to leave the last man to remove his mask and reveal it was Vincenzo himself. Being the gentleman that Mr. Crichton was, dropped to his knees in horror, presented his sword to the young man hilt first, whereupon Vincenzo, being the evil man that he was, took the blade and killed James Crichton instantly. James Crichton was 22 years old at this point. That's, wow. There is that saying in Blade Runner, mm-hmm. the light that burns twice as brightly burns half as long. Yes, indeed. This young gentleman certainly burned very brightly. And in my book, for that period of time specifically, but even to this day, he is the epitome of a British gentleman. Absolutely. Fencing, wit, intelligence mm. and honour. Yes. All in one package. And apparently, you know, romance as well. Exactly. So there you go. The Admiral Crichton. There's a couple of books about him dotted around. They're all sort of out of print and you can find them occasionally. Um, it's one of my missions, actually, to try and get him more recognised. But I think it would be an interesting movie, if nothing else. It really would. Well, let us know if you have any unsung historical gentleman heroes. We'd always be happy to hear from you. And I'm sure James has got a couple up his sleeve for next time. Yes. On that note, we shall hand over to Rory, where he will give us some tips on the perfect manners to dealing with monsters. Greetings and welcome once again to The Perfect Gentleman. My name is Rory Bulger, 2PG, an etiquette and fine dining expert. And today I'm going to be talking to you about dealing with monsters. Obviously, we're not talking about monsters from the movies or anything like that. We're talking about people who are displaying antisocial or possibly aggressive behaviour either around you or directly towards you. Generally speaking, this type of behaviour is used as a negotiation tactic or a strategy as people have been taught through repeated usage that being rude or aggressive will get them what they want. As a strategy, it's necessary to understand it how it impacts on you, and what we can do to mitigate its impacts and negotiate around it. If you're unaccustomed to them, when someone displays these types of behaviours around you, it's likely that your body will go into a flight-fight response. Your levels of epinephrine and adrenaline will increase. Your heart rate and breathing rate will increase. You might find that your hearing reduces and your mouth dries up. You could flush or pale or alternate between the two extremes. With all these changes in your body, it can be incredibly difficult to remain calm and focused on the situation in front of you. This flustering caused by your body's changes during these situations is exactly what the other person is hoping for. It will make it more likely that you'll say or do something that will give the opportunity to gain an advantage. Try to remain calm and focused. Concentrate on what specific points the other person is making and try to get to the underlying cause of their anger or frustration in order to be able to work towards a solution. If appropriate, apologise and recognise any harm that has been done to that person. 
State back to them their specific issues or objections, not only to ensure that you have understood them correctly, but to allow the other person to acknowledge that you are listening and taking on board what they're saying. Now that you have a proper understanding of the other person's specific objections, you're able to work towards a solution and mitigate any misunderstandings. In some cases, you might find that this mediation style approach isn't working. The person is becoming increasingly angry and starting to display body language that suggests imminent physical aggression. In this case, you're completely within your rights to defend yourself, but only to the point where you're able to remove yourself from physical danger. It's advisable to choose some form of self-defense classes in order to be able to practice some techniques for being able to defend your body and those of other people around you, but also to give your body the chance to go through that flight or fight response system so that you're able to understand how it feels and acclimatize yourself to it. As always, more information can be found on the Perfect Gentleman website through our online magazine and video and podcasts or through our website at www.theperfectgentleman.tv. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Rory. Really interesting, as always. I feel a little bit more engaged and ready to take on Halloween and what monsters I may come across. (laughs) Absolutely. That's it for this week, James. That was short but sweet. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I like that one. I don't think I have any marzipan, so I think I'm going to have to go and get some. I think um, cupcakes and bounty bars are in order. I can always claim it's research, and so the calories don't quite count as much. Yes, and then and then I'm getting my costume ready. I was thinking about Zorro this Halloween. That should be fun. I had thought I was going to do um, maybe Clockwork Orange, but I think, actually, after our chat, I'm tempted to go with a real old-school vampire thing and really camp it up. Why not? Why not? Do you like the Count from Sesame Street? Yes, why not? Perfect. Why not? I love to count. <laughs> ah. Ah, ah, perfect. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) Well, see you next week, James. Indeed, you too. Take care, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.